This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. This week is a special week because the national championship uh, is in a few days. The, the game that everybody kind of circles on their calendar at the beginning of the season says we have a shot to make it here well two teams made it lsu and clemson and i've got uh, a guy that covers one of those teams brooks cabina from the advocate in baton rouge is on the podcast i'm gonna say once again because if anybody remembers i think it was two or three years ago when arkansas state came and played nebraska brooks was the guy that i brought on to preview that game um and now he's covering lsu he got to watch the rise of joe burrow he got to cover a really fun exciting offense he got to see a dude throw seven first half touchdown passes against my alma mater a couple weeks ago brooks welcome back to the podcast man how are you hey doing fine just fighting the cold like you are <laughs> how, how's the uh how's the national championship hospitality treating you i've heard great things about the college football playoff well, um, so the Peach Bowl was great. Um, you know, going down to Atlanta. Uh, if you know anything about journalists, uh, if you put out an open bar for them every night, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have some happy customers, and that's exactly what we did. <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's been great. We haven't gotten down to New Orleans yet. Uh, we'll leave Friday, and uh, it's a shorter trip this time. And actually, it's probably uh, you know. Uh, one of those things where you know it might be better last i mean it was a long week covering the peach bowl but that's the bowl experience that uh, most people have uh, you know, the players were there sunday through sunday so we were there too and uh this time we'll go up uh, friday and then saturday will be where all that media stuff gets kicking and then monday will be uh the biggest game lsu's had in eight years I imagine it's it's kind of a different feeling right now uh, because, like you said, it's such a huge game. And, I, and I, I've heard a quote from Ed Orgeron a ton that says, you know, we're just trying to not make this game bigger than life. But something like, what, half of LSU's roster is Louisiana natives. Uh, this game is in is in Louisiana. It's, it's going to be played at the Superdome. Um, the Saints just went out, so I think everybody is, everybody's kind of turned their attention to to, to Louisiana and LSU football, if it, if it wasn't already on it, uh, to be fair. Um, but, th- I mean, this game, like, w- what's the vibe that you're getting? What kind of atmosphere do you expect? You know, they always say that, it, you know, both teams will travel well. It'll be a national championship. Both teams will be well represented. But this is a big game for LSU, and it's in their backyard. Do you expect this to be like a home crowd for LSU? Oh, absolutely. This is the biggest game since the 2011 championship for them. Um, you know, this will this could go down as – um, you know, one of the most, one of the biggest games ever in Louisiana. Um, you know, the, uh, I, I think uh, the person who gave great perspective on that was LSU's punter. His name's Zach von Rosenberg. Um, he's 29 years old, had a stint in the minor league. So he was one of the 
few players on the team who could remember the 2003 championship. And uh, he was there whenever – he was in New Orleans whenever uh, the Saints won the Super Bowl, and he crowd-surfed on Bourbon Street. You know, he's, he's got that perspective, what it's like whenever Louisiana's <laughs> king in football. And I asked him, I was like, so what happens if LSU wins? He's like, they might burn down New Orleans. You know, it's, it's Mardi Gras season coming up. It's, it's the biggest party right now. Um, and it's a huge stage. And, and you, it's, it's, it's meaningful that it's in New Orleans. It's meaningful that Ed Ogeron is from La Rose, Louisiana. He's leading this, his, his hometown team, his home state team to this. Um, I think this is hitting a lot of different um, feels for this entire state. Um, and, and you can definitely get a sense of that. Um, and the other thing is, too, is these high, these, uh, these, the players in high school, if you played in the state championship, you played in the Superdome. Um, you know, the defensive end, uh, Richard Lawrence, he was from Neville High, and he played in the Superdome. You know, anybody who ever played in the state championship was there. So this is the pinnacle of champ, uh, what it means to be a champion in Louisiana, to play there. And um, they couldn't be more comfortable uh, in any other environment. So, uh, it also has different, um, different advantages just by being here. Um, they can stay in Baton Rouge as long as they want to, because it's a short drive and they can practice this whole week here and drive up on a Friday and uh, be comfortable. And, uh, they can take advantage of the being at home in Baton Rouge for as long as they can. And that means they can, um, you know, practice incoming freshmen. You, a lot of people taking advantage of that NCAA rule. Uh, get to um, bring in guys who are graduating early from high school. They've got three guys practicing already, two quarterbacks, Max Johnson and TJ Finley. And uh, the third is Cole Taylor, a tight end from Colorado. So they'll have more, um, I expect, this week. So it, it's, but as, as, as far as how big things can get, uh, it, it really can't get any bigger than this. It's such an interesting <clears throat> kind of dichotomy, I think, maybe that, that could come into play where, like you said, they're they're going to be able to, to stay in, like, friendly confines, home confines for a little bit longer. And certainly, you know, this is not a, a typical um, bowl-like schedule when you're able to just stay at home, practice at home, and then um, leave a couple days before the game for the stadium. So there there, there sh- should be a little bit of um, of ease of mind there, peace of mind there. But also, like you said, it's going to be the biggest game of some of these kids' lives, most of these kids' lives, biggest game in Louisiana in a long time. I'm really curious to see how, how the team comes out to start the game. Um, well, I want to get to the actual game itself um, in a little bit, ask you a couple questions about sure. Clemson. Um, and how do you think they match up? I, I absolutely want to hear an Ed Orgeron story from you. But first, uh, in order for me to fulfill the Nebraska side of this podcast, because I do cover Nebraska, I'm going to ask you about <laughs> Joe Burrow. Excuse me. Um, the first question that is Burrow-related that I have for you, does he, A, talk about Nebraska, B, get asked about Nebraska? If so, is he tired of being asked about Nebraska? Like, like, have you guys had a conversation like that? Have you been in a scrum where he's been asked about Nebraska? I know ESPN has done a couple pieces on game day where they've asked him about Nebraska, and he's given a couple sound bites. I'm curious, like, when he's not broadcast to millions and millions of people, like, is he tired of that narrative, or does it even get brought up? It doesn't get brought up, not in Baton Rouge. I've heard it brought up in... And just maybe a limited amount of times around SEC media days. 
and maybe a little bit towards the beginning of the season at some games, but no. Uh, the one that gets worn is Ohio State, and good lord, if LSU was playing Ohio State instead of Clemson, that would have that narrative. I mean, <laughs> we'd be sick of that too. I mean, just how much they would have run that into the ground. Uh, but no, uh, Nebraska is is not something that comes up on the beat on a daily basis uh, with Joe Burrow. But, I mean, obviously his brother's played there. His dad is ties there. You know, the family is ties there. Um, and as you've read in those stories, um, Nebraska didn't want him. And I, I, I think that kind of hurt Joe uh, as, as a young high school guy and coming into college. But obviously uh, going to Ohio State is still a pretty – damn good deal and then you end up going to LSU and compete for a championship he's made the most of it but um, you know uh, you start you start wondering also um, would it have mattered would, it, would things have been different um, it's, it's just like timing is everything and if Joe Burrow had gone to Nebraska I mean just think of how Nebraska's been the past couple of years would he have been a Heisman quarterback there I mean at Ohio State he was able to learn things and it, he was refined and behind two really good quarterbacks and maintains friendships with them to this day and, um, you know, was, was pushed to the depth of his competitiveness to, to the point where he wanted to play. And he went to LSU, and timing is everything there, too. They've, they've struggled with quarterbacks the past, shoot, 10 years, and it took hiring Joe Brady away from the New Orleans Saints to reconstruct this offense with Steve Ensminger to the point where it fit Joe Burrow. They constructed it around him. So, yeah, there's that thought of what if with Nebraska, but, I mean, you, you can never know whether everything would have worked out the same if he had gone there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's I mean, I, I personally don't like the constant, like, oh, you know, what would Nebraska have been if they had just like committed to Joe Burrow or, or prioritized Joe Burrow? I think I think it does two things. It devalues Joe Brady's contribution and, and how good he is as an offensive mind. And I also think it's completely absurd to compare the rest of LSU's roster to the rest of Nebraska's roster and say, well, if Nebraska had Joe Burrow, they would have this version of Joe Burrow. No, no, they would not. LSU's roster, LSU's wide receivers, LSU's offensive line, it's, it, it's, I mean, they're a national championship team and Nebraska's not. And, and I, you know, I, I wonder all the time, like if Joe had come here, he probably doesn't, he's probably not a Heisman Trophy contender. He's probably not a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he's certainly probably not a Heisman Trophy winner. I think I think the most interesting thing with Joe is that, I mean, this is really like, I mean, you can talk about situation all you want. Joe Brady played a role in this, but, um, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. He was an average quarterback a year ago. And, and like, now he's, he's I've, I've listened to telecasts where he's been compared to Tom Brady. Now he's a Heisman Trophy winner. He's the number one pick in the draft, it seems, coming up. Um, this kind of rise for him has been insane over this last year. Like, did you did you guys see this coming in the preseason? Did you expect this kind of play from Joe? Did he expect this kind of play? Kind of like walk me through like what the talk was in preseason and and uh, as this thing is happening, kind of where's his head at? And and did you guys expect any of this? So I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, uh, but this has been a this has been kind of that question. You know, it became a narrative. No one saw this coming, that kind of thing. 
in the offseason, whenever they hired Joe Brady back in uh, February, and, um, you know, I did a dive into who he was and what the run-pass option system was, uh, you know, talking to his mentors and the offenses and things like that. And then once the summer began, we do a uh, magazine story, uh, a preview magazine for every season, and I was assigned to do Joe Burrow. I brought up to do Joe Burrow. And um, doing research into what LSU's offense was and what Joe Burrow's history was and his skills were, I, I knew that it was going to be good. Uh, you know, from that paragraph, I can remember just kind of quoting it. I said that you know, if LSU somehow ends its losing streak to, the, to Alabama, and if they reach the college football playoff, make no mistake, it'll be Joe Burrow will be the primary reason the program is competing for a championship again. Um, you look, you look at what his strengths were back in high school. Um, I got a chance to talk to his coach there at Athens High in Ohio, and you know Nathan White, the coach then. As a sophomore, Joe Burrow came in, and he could just understand how smart he was as a quarterback. But he was just throwing in new things. As, you know, as a high school coach, sometimes you keep things simple, but he was bringing like elite level college football NFL type. Um, reads and pre-snap decisions and throwing him at Joe Burrow and he was able to to run with it and he has never had that kind of relationship with anyone since like it was like he was playing on the field with Joe Burrow with a the same mind and it was the same offense that LSU was constructing around him um I mean at Ohio State there were similar RPO type things similar spread schemes but um what Joe Brady, um, one of the reasons why Ed Ogeron wanted to bring him there was because they realized last year and you know, felt like he was a mediocre, you know, you say he was a mediocre quarterback last year. I mean, just look at the system that was around him. Um, the kind of players that were around The offensive line was injured and they didn't have a single, uh, they didn't start the same offensive line until week seven. Um, their tight end was being used as a third blocker. Uh, the running back wasn't catching passes in space. And all the wide receivers they had were either young or undeveloped. So, I mean, that they, they couldn't do much at all, regardless of who was that quarterback. And I think that might sound familiar um, around several programs around the nation. They're trying to figure things out on offense, even whenever they bring in big-time recruits. Um, but they, were, they learned early on last year that they could let Joe Burrow make audibles and calls on the line of scrimmage throughout a game, and he could handle it. So they wanted to build an offense to his strength, and by hiring Joe Brady, they built it basically around him. So um, just hearing that and expecting that, um, watching film of him in high school and at Ohio State, a little bit of the spring game, I expected that they would do well. Uh, Heisman Trophy National Championship, I wouldn't have said I would have predicted that and said that's what's going to happen, but I I wasn't surprised that that it is now. But – I mean, you're seeing all those intangibles that people talked about before uh, play out throughout this season. Um, There's a cool thing from the Peach Bowl. ESPN did that behind-the-scenes thing that they do uh, every every after every game, and you can see Joe Brady talking in the headset down to Joe Burrow and saying, "All right, Joe, you got two options here. We can do this or this." Like these coaches are giving him options. He, you know, they're 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 relying on what he's seeing on the field and letting him call things. Clyde Edward Delaire will say sometimes the running back, he'll sit next to him and he says before plays, Joe will just turn to him and say, All right, do this. 
and it'll work out just exactly like he said it would work. Um, Joe Burrow's a special guy, a special cat, and you know there's a reason why a lot of people peg him to be the number one overall pick because he's the kind of guy that is going to thrive in uh, NFL systems because he's going to be able to accept all these complicated schemes and and and, and work like that. Um, a lot of people have made a Tom Brady comparison. As far as a mind goes, it sounds a lot more like Peyton Manning to me. Um, I know we're making some big-time comparisons here, but like my explanation would be, um, you know, Peyton Manning, whenever he was little, you know, obviously his dad was a player, and he'd listen to his dad's um, radio calls and imagine it and have it in his head. Well, Joe Burrow, whenever he was little, you know, his dad, um, Jimmy Burrow, was the defensive coordinator at Ohio University. And on Saturdays, Oh, I mean, Sundays, they would be doing film, and on the field, Joe Burrow would be doing his Little League games. And on Wednesday nights, <laughs> they'd be watching film. He's like seven years old, and his dad's watching film with him, um, making him think through things. And early on in his, his age, he's been able to see football in ways nobody else can for most of his life. He knows how it works. He's competitive as hell. So um, all those things have come together, and LSU constructed that around him. And that's why it's working out so well. That's interesting. He's a, a – I've obviously just been watching from afar, but he seems like, like you said, a, a cool cat. Uh, I like that phrase. Nebraska's quarterback's coach uses cats a lot uh, to describe people. I, he seems like a cool guy. He seems like an easy guy to root for. He seems like um, a very smart, cerebral quarterback. It's fun to watch him play. Um, it, I, I, it'll be interesting. I, you, I mean, you could very well have – the number one pick in this upcoming NFL draft going up against the number one pick in next year's NFL draft with Trevor Lawrence on the other side. Um, I I said I wanted to ask you for a Coach O story. So do do you have a good one? or Or do you have a Coach O impression? I'll go with the story. Um, Okay. Last last signing day, it was February signing day, not December. He's, and you can see this on YouTube. You can go find this. But we're all there getting ready to do this. Um, you know, he, he's going with his introductory uh, press conference, and it's inside the indoor facility, the practice facility. He's got this you know, podium with a backdrop and everything. But somebody in the back, these wide receivers are doing the, you know, the jugs drill, and you can hear the jugs machine go off. You know, he's talking. He's like, yeah, we got this kid from this place. He's in a choosh you hear in the back. And it, you can see it's kind of like, irritating just a little bit you're like it happens once and then it happens again and then he he it happens a third time and he goes and he goes over and yells at him hey i'm trying to do a press conference all right thank you he comes back he starts talking and it still goes off again and again and then he turns around and he does the same thing and it's like this is this is recruiting for ed Ogre. like this is this is the one day that you probably don't want to interrupt him because he's big recruiter. This is his, this is his thing. And uh, we're all sitting there trying not to laugh. And um, the, the funniest thing about it is, is whenever he would take off, um, you know, he was like in mid sentence, you know, he'd be like, yeah, you know, we got this guy, you know, John Emery from, you know, Destrehan, great player. Then he'd go off and say, Hey, I'm having a press conference. Come back. And he's six foot this, da, da, da. he'd pick up exactly where he left off. And it was, it was one of the funnier moments on the beat. Uh, just, it's just uh, one of those things that kind of came came together. I think I've actually, I think I've seen that. I anytime 
Edo comes on screen, I will stop what I'm doing and watch. He's 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 awesome. I, so I think I've I think I've actually seen that. There was a um, I don't know if it was from this year, if it was from recently, or if it was like some old clip that had resurfaced that people were like repurposing. It was around holiday time. Or it was actually around Thanksgiving time, um, and like I think the tweet was like when somebody asked if you're gonna have seconds at Thanksgiving. And it was like a clip of of Coach O, like, just kind of like deadpanning to whoever had asked him a question, and then being like, "Hey, yes." And then he kind of does this like giggle, and I don't know why, but it it struck a chord giggle, with me, and it was one of the funniest things. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's well. The game, it was this season, year, so it's kind of <laughs> you kind of get more happy throughout a season like that. That's true. Yeah, when it, when they're winning. Um, you can tell some fun stories and get people in some good moods. That's funny. Yeah, but that's just strength. You, wanna, you know, the press conference, I think. He's a good storyteller. Do you want to try your hand at a Coach O impression? I'll pass. You'll pass? Okay. Come on, man. I gave you an opportunity to toot your, to toot your own horn. You took advantage of it. That was good. Yeah. Now I'm giving you an opportunity to become a podcast legend. This is your pass. chance. This is your chance to shine. I'll pass. All right. All right. Let's talk about the national championship. What are you expecting from Monday's game from LSU to start? Um, do you think they will come out ready to go? Do you think they will come out a little nervous, a little, um, you know, like the moment is weighing on them? Like, are you expecting um, them to be tight to come out? What do you kind of think LSU needs to do to open this game? Well, um, the interesting thing against um, against Oklahoma, you thought they would go out and start on offense. Uh, you think that's LSU's strength, and Oklahoma was the, you know, top offense as well. And LSU won the top and decided to go up on defense. And Ed Ogeron later said that he did that because he wanted to give them confidence because they knew they could go out there. And they ended up having a three and out, and through two drives, Oklahoma was a negative total yardage, and that set the tone for the rest of the game. Um, with Clemson, I almost wonder if they have a chance to win the toss. I, I wonder if they get the ball first to give the offense confidence that they can execute against this defense because that's that seems to be the narrative behind this game um the i I think whenever i look at from lsu's perspective you know you got trevor lawrence who's i mean they've seen a ton of great quarterbacks this year lsu has um and trevor lawrence may be the most complete that they've seen i mean even at alabama to attack it below was dealing with the ankle injury and I don't I don't think they saw him at his full potential. But Lawrence has this running ability that ties with his passing ability that's I don't want to say uh Sam Ellinger because he's not quite that elite level uh, at all uh yet. Um but it's it's it I would say that's kind of the same combo you would see. So how how does LSU handle a guy who's got sneaky running ability uh to go along very accurate passing and, and, and really talented um, uh, backfield. Like Travis Etienne is, is phenomenal. Um, LSU matches well on, on speed on defense, I think. Uh, but can they match one for one across the board with a team that's almost as talented as them on offense? Uh, so figuring out a scheme that uh, contains all of what Clemson has to offer, I think, will be the biggest thing for defense for LSU. Um, but I think that I've been really studying the last couple of days, and I wrote a story about it today uh, that's on our website, theadvocate.com, um, is all this talk about LSU's offense. You know, they've got the trans- 
ascended quarterback, uh, record-breaking offense. They beat the crap out of Oklahoma in the semifinal and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And no one ever was close between them in the regular season. And now they're just going to rewrite the history books with perhaps what could be the greatest team ever in a championship game. It sounds familiar, right? That was Alabama last year. And then they got the snot kicked out of them with Clemson and one of the most surprisingly lopsided national championships in college football history. So I was like, could this possibly happen again with Clemson? Um, they're still the top number one overall defense in scoring. And the critique people have about Clemson is, oh, they didn't play anybody. They didn't play anybody last year either. And then people might say, oh, you know, North Carolina played close this year. Like, did you watch Syracuse last year? I mean, it's, this team is good. A lot of people thought Ohio State was the number one overall team. A lot of AP voters put them in number one. I, I had Ohio State number one at one point whenever I was voting. Um, their defense is not the same because it, they don't have four NFL defensive linemen anymore. Um, but what they do so well is uh, probably what you need to do against LSU's offense to stop them. It's, they're very good at confusing offenses with the looks they have. Uh, their front seven, the way they run their fronts with Venables, it, it, there's so many different ways. Um, you know, I was talking with a few people. It's like they can they can go odd, even, okey. You know, nose tackle will be here, and then they'll use Isaiah Simmons, uh, a hybrid linebacker safety, and put him anywhere. Um, and Lloyd Cushenberry, the center for LSU, said the other day, he's like, man, we spent the last hour and a half studying the fronts alone. It's it's impressive. Um, I was like, how do you how do you how does a defense come up and you know have that much continuity with that much chaos? And he's like, well, they've been with Venables so long, and that brought up a question for me. I mean, Venables is Brent Venables has been the defensive coordinator at Clemson for eight years. Think about that. I mean, that's an eternity for most coaches right now. Um, LSU has faced most defensive coordinators who are either in their second or their first year this year with their specific school. I'm not saying. You know, they're not great defensive coordinators. Todd Grantham at Florida is fantastic. You know, Bob Shoup at Mississippi State is well-renowned as well. But, you know, just as far as depth and knowledge that you have with your school, Venables is unmatched. And what that means is he has a deeper well than anybody else does with the players that he has. So he can go like, all right, remember three years ago in spring practice we were trying to run this deal and we never did get to it? Let's pull that out and use that against LSU. Now, he's going to have so many different things are at his disposal to try and confuse Joe Burrow, like the smarts that we were talking about earlier, and Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger throughout a game. And the one person that was the most tenured um, that the coordinator that Elsie's faced this year was uh, Auburn's um, uh, Kevin Steele. And Auburn was the team that limited LSU the most this year. They won 23 points. They haven't scored under 30 against anyone else. Um, and Steele brought out this 3-1-7 defense, three defensive linemen, one linebacker, seven defensive backs, uh, where the seven defensive backs muscled their passing game. And uh, he knew that he had Derek Brown, who in my opinion is the best defensive player I've seen this year in person. The dude literally sacked Joe Burrow with an offensive lineman. He took Damian Lewis, who by no means is a bad offensive lineman. He's probably their best took him and ran him into Joe Burrow and sacked him with his offensive alignment. He was that good. Um, and he knew he could use this. And uh, by just having three on the front, he wasn't going to lose much with seven. And it took a long time for LSU to get adjusted to that. They had to 
commit to the run game in a different way in order to get past Auburn, and they still only squeaked by 23-20. to 20. Um, Does Venables have this defensive line like Auburn does? No, but he's got Simmons. He's got a defensive back system that's really good. I mean, these linemen aren't shafty, don't get me wrong, but he has all these different fronts that he's going to use, and I think that alone in itself will give them the capability of at least – confusing Joe Burrow, Steve Enzmiger, and Joe Brady for a little while, maybe long enough for them to keep up on offense um, to compete in the game. Um, I think that's probably the most intriguing thing about this national championship matchup right now. Brooks, I know you got stuff you got to go do, so I'll make this short. I got one more question for you. What, what, what are you expecting from the national championship game? What's your prediction for the game? I think it's going to be close. Uh, I mean, the score that's coming up in my head is, I probably would say somewhere around 41-38. I think these offenses do kind of go at it at some point. I think it starts off pretty slow. I think these defenses will keep each other in check for a little while, but I think both of these coaching staffs are super smart and will find a way to get theirs with their very exceptional talents. And I think it's going to be a very classic national championship game. Um, I think LSU pulls it off. Um, and I only say that because, I mean, there's just something about this LSU team. And I, Going back to other teams that I've watched in the past, beyond scheme, beyond uh, just pure athletic ability, they're playing at a confidence that's unmatched. I mean, Joe Burrow, the way he's operating, the way that they're playing together, they're making these plays that happen um, that are transcending everything else. I mean, imagine so the, jo- the, the Georgia game and the Oklahoma game, the defenses got to Joe Burrow at different times, but he was able to get out of sacks and throw for uh, huge gains while running out of bounds. Like, they're making plays uh, that are just pure will. Um, it seems like this team will be, uh, you know, whenever it comes down to it at the end, will have that last push to, to win that national championship. You think of guys like um, you know, Cam Newton and Vince Young and, even when Florida State was playing, uh, you know, Jameis Winston had those moments in those games. I think Joe Burrow is like that. Um, you, you don't see these kind of players often. And uh, I think he's going to have a very memorable um, finish in this game. Yeah, you, you talk about making a, a spectacular throw on the run while going out of bounds, and, and I immediately thought of the play in, in my head that, that you're kind of talking about is he's almost falling out of bounds basically on the right sideline. He, like, Throws a forty-yard dime that turns in—I can't remember if it turned into a touchdown or just a big, big completion. But that play, I was like, "This, this dude is insane. He's so good." I think it has a chance to be one of the better national championships we've had in a long, long time. Um, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. It'll be, it should be a spectacular game. Um, Brooks, I'll let you get back to the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining the podcast again. Anybody that wants to follow Brooks, Brooks Cabina from the Advocate, you can read his work. I will link to his Twitter account on our website. Um, make sure to read his stuff. Give him a follow if you want LSU coverage, if you want national championship coverage. And uh, Brooks, I guess, have have a good weekend. Um, enjoy the game. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Absolutely, Derek. Anytime. Well, that's time. I want to give a big thanks to Brooks for joining the podcast. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at B-K-U-B-E-N-A. I highly recommend it. He does some really good stuff. Um, That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Hopefully my voice will sound better. I am dealing with...
flu-like symptoms, but apparently not the flu, so my doctor would not give me medicine for it, but it's all right. I'll make it. In the meantime, we'll have coverage on HailVarsity.com of all the things. Football, men's basketball, they play this weekend. Women's basketball, they play Thursday or a couple days ago or yesterday, depending on whatever you're listening to this podcast. Women's basketball won again. They're 13-2 now. They're really good. Read everything on HailVarsity.com. And we will talk to you guys next week.